this morning about the spirit of Jezebel. The spirit of Jezebel. We're going to read first out of Revelations chapter 2, verse 20. I've wanted to preach this for many years. God never really has released me to do so. But I feel that's what he wants to speak to us here this morning. Verse 20. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. Now, I want you to know that Jezebel doesn't necessarily have to have a pulpit to teach. Amen. And I think it's very unlikely that she was formally teaching in this church at Thyateria, though I cannot validate that. But uh, the cultural limitations upon women at that time were fairly universal. And I just doubt that uh, they had given her a position in the church. I don't believe in women preachers. I believe that's a problem. But I want you to know it's deeper than that. Amen. It's a deeper principle here that's communicated. Now let's turn to 1 Kings chapter 16. 1 Kings chapter 16. And verses 30 through 33. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord, above all that were before him. And it came to pass, as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he took to wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ithbel, king of the Zidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. And he reared up an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. And Ahab made a grove. And Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before him. Father, I thank you, Lord, for light. And I ask for light here today in our hearts to expose the works of darkness. Lord, that the word of God would come forth with authority and with power. Lord, that you would teach us, that we would be warned, Lord, as you intend for us to be warned, Father. To be circumspect, Lord, to be alert, to be sober in these days of danger and peril. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We read here in Revelations chapter 2, the Lord Jesus Christ's evaluation of the church at Thyateria. And we see that he reproves them sharply for allowing or suffering, as he puts it, that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess to teach and to seduce my servants. Amen. Now I know the Jesus of today that he rarely, if ever, disproves of anything. Amen. If the folks are happy and attendance is high, then Jesus is apparently satisfied. It looks like Jezebel was a big hit here in Thyateria, very popular, and things were doing well. But my Bible teaches me, amen, that Jesus was not impressed, but rather he was displeased. 
I want you to know Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Don't you think for one moment that Jesus won't put his finger on the spot. That Jesus won't speak to a local church and tell them that he's not pleased with a certain thing. You read through the book of Revelations and he's going to make his church right. He's getting that bride ready. Amen. Spotless. Without wrinkle. Amen. And that is the will of God and the Holy Ghost is preparing that bride. Now, when we speak about Jezebel, that's an uh, infamous Old Testament name. And long ago, we know that she suffered God's judgment at Jezreel at the command of Jehu. As the prophet Elijah prophesied, the dogs shall eat Jezebel. Now, a lot of people think, you know, that I'm a hard preacher. They think that, you know, I'm too severe with people. But I want you to know right there that that's what God thinks about that spirit. And that spirit was in a human being. That God would let the dogs eat the very carcass of Jezebel. Amen. I'm here to tell you that God wants to deal with some things. And you know, if you put a rebel out of the church in this hour, they will call you uncharitable. But we have missed the very nature and the very character of God in this hour. But we know the word of the Lord came to pass. And yet you read about that in 2 Kings, that Jezebel, she was so vile that even the dogs of God's judgment wouldn't eat her skull or feet or the palms of her hands. You know, what does that tell us? Perhaps that's God sending us a reminder, amen, that He'll always hate a proud look, hands that shed innocent blood, and feet that are swift, running to mischief, amen, that God's not going to dabble with sin. God's not going to play with rebellion. Every time you see rebellion crop up in the house of God or among God's chosen people, God deals with it swiftly because it's a spiritual cancer that will bring death to that vessel. Amen. But you know the question that we ask ourselves is why would Jesus use the name of Jezebel to describe error infiltrating the church nearly a thousand years later? Amen. Well, I believe the answer is obvious. He's citing an Old Testament character who's personified in a New Testament spirit. And that same spirit, the spirit of Jezebel, is still teaching and seducing the church in this hour wherever she is suffered or wherever she is allowed. Now, I'm here to tell you, God wants us to be aware of the craftiness and the subtleness of the enemy. He wants us to understand. He wants us to recognize. He wants us to see and not to allow any spirit other than the spirit of the Holy Ghost. Amen. And you know, that is the way the devil uh, wants to attack the church. Or one of the ways, the same way that he attacked Israel. Amen. He wants to, us to suffer a spirit of Jezebel to live and to labor and so it were teach among us. Amen. Now the person in the name of Jezebel is synonymous with persecution and idolatry. She stamped her name on history as representing all that is manipulative, crafty, rebellious, and cruel. And we don't have story to, uh, time to go back and read the whole, you know, story of Jezebel and King Ahab. But uh, I trust 
that you're familiar with the characters, the individuals involved with this story, and the details about it. Amen? We're going to highlight some of that as we move along. The The main thing I want you to know and to remember about that story is that Ahab violated the commandment of God. Amen? He married into pagan uh, a pagan family. He brought that pagantry and that heathenism into his home, into his house, and thereby defiled all of Israel. And it took the ministry of the prophet Elijah, and it took the rulership and the government of King Jehu to begin to rectify and to correct that. Many years. Terrible and awful repercussions for allowing that spirit in. But there's three central figures in that story. And we're going to focus on those three here this morning. We're going to look at Ahab, we're going to look at Jezebel, and we're going to look at Jehu. And each is typical, I believe. That is, they represent certain spiritual truths. We know that in Romans chapter 15 it says, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning. Whenever we can discern and interpret the Scriptures according to this covenant and according to the Lord Jesus Christ, there's always spiritual lessons for us to learn. Amen? And we're going to note the, the marks and the attributes of these three tests three Old Testament characters and as we do that's going to enable us to better understand this spirit of Jezebel where it begins its origins amen and its defeat we're going to begin here with Ahab the characteristics of Ahab and I just you know read through the story and just saw certain things about you know King Ahab that uh, brought this uh, spirit of Jezebel to fruition we read in 1 Kings 21 and 25, But there was none like unto Ahab, which did sell himself to work wickedness in the sight of the Lord, whom Jezebel, his wife, stirred up. You know, when the Bible talks about he sold himself, it implies that there was an exchange that took place. In other words, he compromised, but there was something in it for him. He sold himself, amen, to do evil. But the first thing about Ahab that I want you to know here this morning is there can never be a Jezebel in Israel if there's not first Ahab upon the throne. Now, I know we've heard that, or if you've been in church for any length, of time and Jezebel's ever mentioned they always bring that up it's the truth I've heard it all of my Christian life but now that I've lived some time some waters passed under the bridge I've pastored for a few years this is an absolute it's always true there's never an exception wherever there's a Jezebel there's always going to be an Ahab lurking in the shadows without exception amen We read that King Ahab marries Jezebel. She's a pagan princess. And that violated God's commandment as expressed in Deuteronomy chapter 7 verses 2 through 4. And when the Lord thy God shall deliver them, meaning the heathen and the pagan before thee, thou shalt smite them and utterly destroy them. Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor show mercy unto them. Neither shalt thou make marriages with them. Thy daughter thou shalt not give unto him his son, nor his daughter shall thou take unto thy son, for they will turn away thy son from following thee, that they may serve other gods. And that's exactly what happened with Ahab. 
Now he's already in compromise. I don't mean to say that he was spiritual or that he was surrendered or consecrated to God. But it was just a further pattern, amen, of drifting from the things in the law of God. And we also learn, if we study this story, that Ahab's marriage was particularly troublesome for Israel because the entire nation was seduced into idolatry. And again, that is the strategy of the devil. If he's going to influence the vessel of God, then he's got to infiltrate the authority. Because the authority, those in leadership, have the God-given, God-ordained power to root the thing out. So he's got to blind the leadership. Amen. It's Ahab that facilitates the spirit of Jezebel. It's Ahab to blame. Amen. In turn, Jezebel manipulates and seduces Ahab to do evil. That's what that, that phrase means, to stir up. It means she provoked him. Amen. She seduced him. Amen. That's what that spirit does. There's a trade-off there. I'm going to let you in. I'm going to make covenant with you, but that spirit is going to manipulate. Amen. Where Jezebel manifests herself, there's always an Ahab. There's never an exception. There can never be Queen Jezebel without first there being a King Ahab. So Ahab here this morning represents God-ordained authority compromising to suffer or to allow Jezebel a platform to operate from. It could be a compromise in church. It could be a compromise in pulpit. It could be a compromising parent. It could be a compromising husband. And the list goes on and on. Wherever there is God-ordained, delegated authority, the temptation for that authority will be to succumb to the worldly pattern of Ahab. Amen. Every one of us have authority in some area. Amen. And if we succumb to that spirit, we're going to give place to Jezebel. Today's Ahab is not limited to operating in men, nor is the spirit of Jezebel limited to using women. As the Ahab spirit is typical of weak and compromising authority, Jezebel represents unbiblical patterns of subordination. That's what it is. Is. Amen. And that's where the temptation will be. Now there's always going to be rebels. There's always been rebels who seek to manipulate godly authority and godly leadership. But where there is no Ahab, that spirit will always be exposed for what it is and dealt with. That's the key. Amen. You get proper authority. And authority walk holy and godly wherever it is. It will not suffer that spirit of Jezebel. Now that brings us to the next characteristic of Ahab. Amen. Ahab refuses to get to the bottom of things. Ahab refuses to get to the bottom. Ahab refuses to bring things to a head. Ahab doesn't like to draw absolute lines. Ahab will not properly confront Jezebel. You read through this story and the thing that is so obvious and so clear, it just jumps out at you. Here you have wicked queen Jezebel and there's not one mention, not one occasion where you find Ahab rebuking or chastising or confronting Jezebel. Not once. Not one time. Amen. And that's a characteristic 
of this Ahab, amen, to lead requires great courage. It requires spiritual fortitude that's inspired by divine love. But we look at Ahab, he leads with a slack hand. He runs a loose ship. He allows uh, more than what God would allow. Now remember, we've got to measure ourselves according to the Word of God. You know, I really believe that if we could just be, you know, transported instantly back to the, the first century church, we would seem as compromisers compared to the holiness and the purity of that first century church. But we're so intimidated and we're so moved and influenced by the accusations of this worldly religious spirit that calls us uncharitable and unloving. Amen. If we try to do what God called us to do. In other words, view view it this way. Jezebel, amen, her dead carcass needs to be eaten by the dogs of God's judgment. That's what God thinks about it. That's what God thinks about it. We're to hate that spirit. We're to hate that spirit to God that anybody that would succumb to that would be delivered. But you know that old idea, either the devil, we're going to either cast the devil out of that individual. And if they won't repent and they'll have their devils, then we're going to cast them and the devil out of the church. Amen. We're going to do away with it. We can't give place to it. And if somebody calls that unloving, then I just label them as carnal because that's what they are. Amen. I'm to love God supremely and love my neighbor as myself. Amen. A man comes in and starts raping my wife. I'm not just going to pray for him. I'm going to stop him because I'm to love my wife just as much as I'm to love him. That's what the church doesn't understand. There's more of us here than the one pervert or the one child molester or the one rebel that would come in here and try to operate. I have to love you as well. Amen. And as a pastor, give that individual time to repent. Give give her space to repent. But if she won't, I'm sorry you're not bringing your rebellion in this house. Amen. But in leadership, confrontation is not only necessary, but often required in providing godly leadership. If if you don't have a stomach for spiritual blood, then leadership is not for you. Because confrontation is all the time. You have to become the anointed jerk. That's right. All the time. As a pastor, as as a parent, as a husband. As an employer, whatever it may be, correction is necessary, confrontation is needful, amen, imperative. Yet wherever you find Ahab, he just doesn't seem to possess the ability to bring things to a head. Now I want to talk about that for a moment because it's more than just mere confrontation. It's line drawing. It's making things manifest for what they are. That the Word of God is a discerner of the intents and the motives, the reins of the heart. And that anointed leadership will always bring things to a head. Give ultimatums. Lay down parameters and boundaries and make the thing manifest for what it is. When there is not a manifestation of God, we know that it can't be blessed of God. But I'm here to tell you when there's a manifestation of God, it's going to expose the works of the devil and there's going to be a manifestation and an uncovering of that sin. 
Wherever there's light, the darkness is going to be exposed. So whenever folks can talk about manifesting the life of Jesus, amen, from sun up to sun down to the dra- their tongue drags the ground. They can talk about the life of Jesus and whatever they want to talk about, and we do need all of that. But if sin is not exposed, if Jezebel can be suffered and allowed under that ministry, then friend, I'm here to tell you that the, the whole idea of the manifestation of God has been re- reduced to suffering something, a feeling, a chill bump, a good, warm, fuzzy feeling when we leave church. But that Holy Ghost, that anointed word digs deep, it probes, it cuts, it exposes, and it judges. It brings things to a head. It'll push on that thing and keep probing on that thing. And if it's there, sooner or later it's going to say, get your hands off of me. That's what that rebel will do. That's what that spirit will do. Amen. And in many cases, amen, Ahab will misinterpret those who possess the ability to probe and to expose. Remember, Ahab accused the prophet Elijah, who came with a word of confrontation. He said, art thou he that troubleth Israel? That's his mentality. You're too direct. You're too hard. You just come to stir up trouble. But Elijah rightly discerned the situation. He declared to King Ahab, I haven't troubled Israel, O king, but thou and thy father's house, and that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. That's where the trouble comes from. Disobedience! And it's got to be dealt with. A mark of true godly leadership, whether it's in the pulpit, whether it's in the pew, whether it's in the home of the marriage, is the ability to get to the root of the problem, to expose it and to define it. Amen. According to the word of God, we're not going to sit down. Listen to me. I'm talking about in a position of authority. I'm not going to sit down with my eight year old son as a parent and let him define his sin. I'm going to define it by the word of God as a pastor in this pulpit amen given authority here I'm going to define what sin according to the word of God you have a choice whether to believe me or not if I get outside of the parameters of God's word then you are to vacate amen but nevertheless God has given me authority to deal with this local church he's given that husband authority to deal in that marriage he's given that parent authority to deal with that child and on down the list and it's the it's the authority if it's truly God an anointed of God it will define things it will bring things to a head and it will bring forth deliverance every time of course people have a free will if they don't want to be delivered then they won't be delivered but I can tell you what godly leadership will do he'll call it what it is he said that's pagan either Jezebel gets delivered amen or we call her what she is she's a pagan don't trust her she's not queen she's not godly she's not holy Amen. She's wrong. Can you prove that, Brother Briggs? I'm the Baptist said of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And now also, the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that bringeth forth not good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. You know, every tree that doesn't bring forth 
ripe fruit. Amen. Jesus cuts it down and he cuts it down at the root and he puts it in the fire. There's no exceptions to that. That's what John the Baptist spoke of the Lord Jesus Christ. That ministry that's anointed by the Holy Ghost probes. It exposes. Amen. It cuts to the heart. And I've seen this time and time again. I've seen it in marriages. Amen. Jezebel is there. I've sat down with men and just told them, your wife is a Jezebel. She's, she is manipulating. She's out of order. She's uh, uh, out of control. Amen. Sit them down. Paint a picture for them and have men, yes, sit there and nod their head. You'll remember when uh, Naboth's vineyard, uh, Ahab wanted Naboth's vineyard and, you know, Naboth wouldn't sell it to him. So he went home and began to pout and Jezebel said, what you pouting for? Amen. Aren't you the ruler of Israel? I'm going to get that vineyard for you. And he went out, she went out by extortion and murder and stole that vineyard from Naboth for her husband Ahab. But when the word of the Lord came to Elijah to reprove that household for its sin, he didn't go to Jezebel. He went to Ahab to deal with Ahab because it was his fault. He was to blame. The blood was upon his hands. Amen. But you know, the axe just seems too brutal for Ahab. The axe seems like too brutal a tool to use on his sweet Jezebel. Amen. And that tree just continues to thrive. I've seen it time and time again. Sit men down. Deal with them. And they just can't. They don't possess the ability to bring the thing to a head. I've seen the same spirit in the pulpit. And consequently in the church. Amen. I'm here to tell you a shallow ministry produces shallow saints. And that's why you have such shallow saints all over America. Because the ministry never does anything but scratch the surface. I can tell you when you swing an axe in the spirit, sometimes it's going to smart. You're going to cut down to the quick. There's going to be some bloodshed. There's going to be some confrontation. It's not always going to be comfortable and easy. But that's the way of blessing. That's the way of furtherance. That's the way of deliverance. To deal with everything at the root. Pastors who refuse to exercise their God-given authority to rid their congregations of the obvious rebellion and tears. I've told you many times, i talk to pastors all the time. They said, how many of you got on Sunday morning? Hey man, I got about 50% of mine that show up on Sunday. The rest come on. Now listen to me. I couldn't sleep at night if I knew that. I'd either drive it out or drive it in. It can't be right with God. It's living and it's going to destroy the church. It's a mentality that's been bred in today's pulpit and it's not according to the word of God to allow what they know good and well can't be right with God I've had pastors tell me 50% of my people they're not even born again I say brother you seem like you could bring the thing to a head oh no we, I am I'm telling them I'm trying to preach the God you know we ought to learn a lesson from Eli Eli was an Ahab he had the same spirit and the same heart and the same character. You know, Ahab told his wicked sons. You know, the Bible says judgment came on Eli's house. And you read and Eli told his sons, you ought to not do so wickedly. He reproved them. He warned them. But when the prophet came, God said, I'm going to bring judgment on his house because he knew they were in sin, but he wouldn't restrain them. 
he wouldn't stop them. You know, you can stop things. I can't make people serve God, but I can stop what happens in that house. I can restrain it. I can deal with it. Authority does that. And this Ahab spirit does not possess the ability to bring things to a head. Amen. Listen to me. Uh, there's been things that have happened in this church. As, as you know, people believe this is a perfect little church. You know, but I'll tell you, there's been things in this church from the beginning. There's been times when there's something here that I could almost not sleep for days. For I knew it had to be dealt with. And I set my face against it from this pulpit and gave it absolutely no mercy. In other words, I'm going to have to sacrifice peace for the sake of purity. There'd be tension. Tension in relationships. Leave the house of God. Nobody's hugging. Amen. There's a tension. No, no, we're, you know, we're holy people, so nobody's going to say anything. But there's that tension there, and you can sense it, and you can feel it, because the Holy Ghost has brought somebody under the spotlight and dealt with them. Listen to me. Godly leadership has to be able, has to have courage to bring things to a place of tension, a place of crisis, a place where there's no comfort, no peace, until the answer comes for deliverance. Whether it be in the home, you know, that's always been my pattern. If there's something in my wife, something in my children, particularly in my wife, because she's saved. Amen? Whether she's saved or not, that's really not the issue. But I know that I can teach her. Amen, I'm going to lock in a room. We're not leaving. I, I'm telling you, I'll turn, I've said it before, they, they can test follow up. I'll turn this house into a concentration camp. But I'm getting to the bottom. There won't be a, there won't be a wink of sleep. There won't be any peace in here until we find out what devil has climbed in here and disrupted the peace of Almighty God. And I will not let it rest until we get to the bottom of it. And that's what godly leadership does. But I can tell you what Ahab, he doesn't want to sacrifice like that. He likes there to be peace. He likes there to be, you know, the, the, uh, the image and the portrayal and the, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, the thought that everything's alright but underneath it all amen there's that spirit of Jezebel operating it can't be left alone if it's left alone it's to suffer it's got to be dealt with it's got to be dealt with that's what it is it's not just that somebody says I don't agree with that brother you understand that I sit down with pastors I don't agree with that you go to the school of Christ they're shouting amen shouting then you go to their church and think what in the world what, what, do they listen? They're not about to take action, but they'll agree with you in theory. But they're not about to take action according to the Word of God. Amen. It's not enough simply to preach. We've got to discipline. Remember the Apostle Paul? He's in authority. He's the Apostle. He said this. He said, I'm absent in body, but I'm present in spirit. Now that individual that's fornicating there, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and in my spirit, you need to turn that one over to the destruction of Satan for the destruction of the flesh. In other words, you need to discipline him in the power and the place of my I'm telling you to deal with it. He's the one that had to deal with it. And he did do it. Amen. This is the condition 
It exists because at the root of the Ahab and Jezebel relationship is idolatry. That's what the root of it is. If I love God supremely, then his concerns and his word is my priority. And that means I'll be willing to offend anybody. Willing to sacrifice peace. Willing to sacrifice a relationship with anybody that God would be pleased. Amen. But if you let the feelings of a congregation or the feelings and perception of a wife or a child, if you put that above the word of God, then you forfeit the ability to lead. And sometimes that's not so much conscious, it's unconscious. As deception often is, men really don't realize. I was speaking to a pastor just last week and he was, you know, uh, asking me questions because he has a situation in his church where there's a woman out of control and he sat down with the man many, many times and tried to reason with him about dealing with his wife. As far as he knows, he's doing everything he can do. I told that pastor, I said, if he doesn't repent and he doesn't get his heart right with God, that woman will bring him out of that church because he is idolatrous. He loves his wife more than he loves Jesus. That's what's at the root of it. I heard a wise pastor say, we've found something worse than an empty church. An offended God. An offended God. That's got to be the principle. I found something worse. Listen to me. I'm going to run my house. If everyone has to leave, I'm going to run it. You hear me? I've set my heart to do I'm going to control and run that house according to the word of God. And I will never back off from that if it costs me my marriage. And listen to me. I'm telling you the truth. I believe that. I'm going to run it according to the grave. I'm going to do it under Jesus Christ. But that's, listen to me, that's the spirit that can deal with this thing. But anything less than that, it will suffer Jezebel. It will suffer Jezebel. And Jezebel is going to teach. That's what she's after. Amen. She's going to teach. She's going to leaven. Amen. Ahab will tolerate a degree of rebellion. It's true. Amen. He may deal with it in a very general way. But the Holy Ghost never tolerates any rebellion. The third thing about Ahab. Ahab becomes calloused and blinded by his compromise. He's often the last to know that he's married to Jezebel and this again is an absolute we read in 1st Kings 16 and 31 as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam the son of Nebat that he took to wife Jezebel he's so conditioned by compromise so what just take a pagan wife it's a light thing to him it's not a serious matter to him he doesn't see the grave, awful repercussions that are going to, you know, spring forth out of this ungodly decision. And so it is with Ahab. He becomes callous. He becomes blinded with every little step of compromise. It just doesn't seem like it's as bad as perhaps Elijah says it is. It doesn't seem that bad. 
You know, the wording here indicates Ahab didn't see his decisions and actions rightly. Amen. And Ahab typically, that's what happens. He becomes hardened through compromise. He becomes desensitized to the rebellion, the manipulation, and the compromise around him. Amen. And listen to me. That's the thing that I've seen. People that suffer this spirit, whether it be a pastor, whether it be a husband, whether it be a parent, they they tend not to really recognize the spiritual state of the flock that's under their care. And they, you know, they look at externals. And, you know, they'll, 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 you know, just look past all manner of history. They'll look past all types of bad fruit. And they'll listen to explanations. The Holy Ghost, what does it say of His ministry? The axe is laid to the root. And you know what that axe is doing? That axe is cocked and ready to swing. And to sever that tree at the ground. And the first thing he looks at, he looks at that limb. And he's looking for fruit. No fruit. And it's coming down, friend. And it's going in the fire. He's not going to listen to that tree. Well, I didn't understand. And I didn't, this explanation and that, and this excuse and that excuse. And, and my child just really didn't think that. I talked to him about it. What did he do? Did he rebel? He's a rebel. Amen. He's a rebel. Well, my wife, she had this explanation and that. But what was the fruit? The Holy Ghost judges the fruit. Listen to me. I trust the Word of God. There's been times when my children, there's been times when my wife, there's been times when I've done something. And you know the first thing that comes up, even in my own mind, is an explanation. But it wasn't Christ-like fruit. That means it sprang from a root that wasn't Jesus, and it needs to be judged accordingly. Instead of making some excuse for it. Well, this is... He didn't really know. Well, my, you know, they didn't see it that way. My congregation, they're the best people, but they just, you know, they don't know any better than that. Why didn't you get, how come you hadn't taught them then? But if it's contrary to the Word of God, then there's no excuse for it. And the Holy Ghost doesn't listen to excuses. The Holy Ghost looks at the fruit. He's a watching. Even a child is known by his doings. Everything is judged according to that fruit. Amen. In the name of love, Ahab dare not disappoint and wound his Jezebel, whoever that may be. Amen. It may be a mother with their child. It may be a husband with wife. It may be a pastor with a congregation. Whatever it is. Amen. The act seems so brutal to use on Jezebel. Ultimately, there's something deep within Ahab's heart that sympathizes with Jezebel instead of with Jesus. What did he say? Don't you make a league with them? Don't you make a covenant with them? Have no mercy. You know, we think in this hour we're supposed to have mercy on everything. We're, we're supposed to have mercy on people. And God has just that mercy on people. So much so that he will give them opportunity to repent. And if they won't, then they've got to be dealt with and even removed if necessary for the sake and the betterment of the whole. Do you understand? That is love and that is benevolence. Amen. How often have I seen this in a husband? Amen. They become blind to the real condition of their wife. Their wife smiles for three days. Amen. They've left them and everything else for two and three years. Had nothing but trouble. Goes to a church service. Smiles for three days. And now we think she's sanctified. 
sanctified and give her all kind of rope. Whatever it may be, situations like this where there's all manner of sin, all manner of rebellion, and the slightest hint toward the positive makes the one in authority let down their guard. You know why that is? Because it's idolatry in the heart. I know that love thinketh no evil. But love rejoiceth not in iniquity as well. Amen. And love is wise, circumspect, true, harmless, harmless as a dove, but wise as a serpent. We know how that sin operates. We know how that carnal mind is. Let's see whether the fruit is born, whether there's really, amen, a consistent walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Ahab assumes everything to be in order, while in reality everything is out of order. And it manifests itself regularly, and Ahab many times doesn't even know it. Pastors don't know what their congregation is doing. Don't know how they live. People up and down the road making fun. How the people work on their job, how they live day to day. And the pastor has no idea. Thinks they're the holiest godly people. It's willful ignorance. It's a turning because I don't want to have to deal with it. And if I don't know about it, then I don't want to see it. See, these things are many times unconscious. And so it is in the home, in marriages, among our children, whatever it may be. The fourth mark of Ahab. Amen. He often uses Jezebel to accomplish his end. He prophets. You know, Jezebel, a little bit out of order, but there's some profit that I can gain from this. Remember, it said he sold himself to do evil. There was a trade-off here. And again, going back to Naboth's vineyard, you know, Ahab came home pouting. Naboth is not going to sell Ahab the vineyard. And what does Jezebel do? It says, And Jezebel, his wife, said unto him, Dost thou now govern the kingdom of Israel? Arise and eat bread and let thine heart be merry. I will give thee the vineyard of Naboth, the Jez- Jezreelite. I'm going to get it for you. You're going to profit. You know, when Ahab wanted Naboth's vineyard, what did he do? He suffered Jezebel to unlawfully obtain it for him. You know, Jezebel can be pretty handy in a pinch. She can be pretty useful if you just let her. You know, Ahab, he didn't ask any questions. He just wanted that vineyard. That's what he wanted. So he let her do her thing. Amen. And, and, and what happened? Jezebel's actions cost Naboth his life. That's what it costs. And I can tell you, if Jezebel were to infiltrate a local church, say if Jezebel were to operate in this local church, it's going to cause somebody to stumble. Somebody's going to be taught. Somebody's going to discern it. Somebody's going to be attacked. Somebody's going to be undermined somewhere. Somebody's going to suffer the repercussions of her action. And I can tell you what love. See, Ahab doesn't have any love. He know he ought to know by now my wife is ruthless. What is she going to do to Naboth? Yes, I want his vineyard, but he wouldn't sell it to me. But I know what she'll do. She's going to get it at any cost. And I'm not just going to let her run around and do her own thing. Because somebody's going to get hurt. Because she's wicked. And she's evil. And she has such a tendency. Ahab's to blame. Because Jezebel. It's his responsibility. And she operates under either his spoken or unspoken approval. You read in 1 Kings chapter 21 verse 8. 
when she had concocted a plan to frame Naboth and have him stoned in the name of the Lord. Amen. Religious had him stoned, accused of blasphemy. Says she wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with his seal. Amen. That's why Elijah came to Ahab. Because she did it with your authority that you forfeited to her. You gave her the authority and you're going to answer for it, mister. And that's a very, very sobering fact. Whether you're a pastor, whether you're a husband, whether you're a parent. I'm going to stand before God with what takes place up in this house. And whatever goes on here, amen, I'm going to give an account for it. That, that, that makes me tremble and it makes me quick. Whatever happens in that marriage, whatever happens in that home, I ultimately am going to answer to God for it and therefore with that authority I'd better exercise the grace that God has given me we're going to look now at Jezebel you know what her name means her name means unmarried chase and unmarried isn't that something she's married but she's not really married she says she's in covenant, but she doesn't fulfill any conditions of a covenant. She had a ceremony, but that she doesn't have a heart that's submitted. She's a rebel. She's after authority. The first thing she is, is she's a manipulator. We read the verse, it says, Ahab, whom Jezebel, his wife, stirred up. And again, that means to provoke. It means to seduce. This spirit seeks to tempt those who God calls to subjection in any given relationship. Whether it be a child, children, honor your father and mother. Children, obey your parents. Whether it be the wife, wives, be in submission to your own husbands. Whether it be the citizen, obey, you know, the the magistrates who have authority. Amen. The employee is to submit. The uh, servant is to submit to the master. Amen. Or the church, submit those that have the rule over you. There is always a place of a submission and in that place of submission then God gives us certain instructions well that spirit comes to tempt those in that position it appeals to the selfish carnal baser elements of the fallen nature that would rather operate according to the world than God's order for a given relationship and its aim is to replace submission with manipulation that's what it's after To get what I want through whatever means is necessary. Rather than appeal, rather than pray for authority, rather than submit to authority. Of course, there's an exception to that. Anytime anybody in a position of subordination is commanded to disobey or violate God's word, they have the obligation to disobey. Everybody understand that? Nowhere, any, no, no authority on planet earth is that binding everybody understand that we make that qualification if your husband asks you to sin you're not to sin if your pastor asks you to sin you're not to sin if your pastor teaches you something that's not the bible don't believe it amen i'm not saying that i'm saying outside of that outside of that the 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 call if there's a disagreement is to appeal then pray and submit amen i can remember i was talking to a young lady not that long ago just out of order a rebel and she told me she's telling me all the things about her husband none of it uh, even though i may not agreed with some of it none of it was sin none of it was sinful what he was doing may have been you know not exactly what i would have done but i'm not going to side against god's authority 
authority. And finally she said, and I kept saying, well, he's not asking you to sin. You know, why don't you just pray and believe God and just uh, submit us unto the Lord and have a good spirit. Amen. Thank God your husband's even saved, even serving Jesus. And she just kept going on and on. And finally she said, you know what this is about? This is all about control. He wants to control me. I said, God wants you to let him control you. That's what it is about control. You better believe it's about control. And if he don't have it, you're going to have it. That's what it's about, control. Somebody always has control. God, nobody has the right to step outside of Jesus Christ. But somebody's going to say, this is the way it's going to be. And you know what that deals with? Control. You can shape it any way you want, slice it any way you want. It is about control. That's exactly what it's about. This spirit can be active, meaning that it can violently oppose the direction of authority. And when it's active, it's very open. It's not trying to hide itself. It's very brazen, very bold. I don't agree. And I'm going to rebel against this. But it also can be passive. And in the church, and in most cases, this is what it generally is. It's passive. Which means that it's more crafty. It's more subtle. Oftentimes it's unconscious. Let me tell you something. We were all taught to be rebels. This is a rebellious culture. We were all weaned. We were all conditioned to be rebels. Women, all of you women here, every one of you were conditioned to be a Jezebel. You have been trained. You have been taught from a little bitty girl by all the magazine articles and television or whatever it may be. Except you've been saved, you know, since you've been a little girl. You have been trained. You have been conditioned to be a Jezebel. And to get what you want by manipulation and coercion and many times in the church it's subconscious it's underneath it takes the Holy Ghost to expose a lot of women don't even recognize that that's what they're doing it takes the ministry of the prophet to expose it amen but you know that passive uh, uh, Jezebel spirit is seductively wounded if it won't get in your face nose to nose, then it will curl up in a little ball and cry. Feel sorry for me. That's what it does. You know, most pastors, they can't handle tears in a woman. All a woman has to do is go sit down and begin to cry. Oh, I'm sorry. Or children, or whatever it may be. I've, I've had women leave here, rebels. Leave here and go seek the counsel of other pastors. And they get in there and cry and give their one-sided story against their husband. And the pastor agree with it. Because he can't stand to see those tears. And that's what that spirit's doing. Manipulating. It doesn't matter. Look, whether you cry or not, what's the truth? I don't, I don't want you to be hurt. But if you're, if you're hurt because you're a rebel and you're not obeying the word of God, then I'm sorry. Dry it up. Get the victory. You want to serve God or not? You're a rebel. You're on your way to hell if you don't repent. That's the only thing you can say. I don't care if you cry. Crying is not the issue. The issue is what's the truth of the situation? What's going on here? Let's get to the root. Let's get to the bottom. And let's judge this thing according to the Word of God. I heard a woman singing a special not long ago in one of these radio stations. She said, the church caused me to drift. Start talking about how she served the devil because of the church. She didn't serve the devil because of the church. She served the devil because she was a rebel. And she hated the word of God. 
But somebody's told her that. She's bought into that, that she's a victim, and she's been wounded, and chances are she wouldn't even submit to the Word of God. That's what usually happens. You know, listen to me. If someone's got a right spirit, they're not looking to man. Everybody can backslide. Everybody can sin against me. Jesus has never done me wrong. If our eyes are on him, we're going to survive that. It's going to happen. In essence, the spirit of Jezebel, it communicates to authority, I'm going to make you pay a price for making any decisions that I don't agree with. Hello? It might not be, you know, frontal attack. It might just be I lose the victory and pout. Bridget, I believe we're going to do this. She starts losing it, walk around, won't talk. To what she doing? Making me pay a price for trying to do what I think God told me to do. That's rebellion. It's wrong. It's manipulation. It's coercion. I'm going to put you through the ringer. If you don't do what I want you to do, then I'll make you pay. Churches do that. It's happened here. It's happened here. Where I preach and touch something and you can sense the tension and people don't like it. Don't you touch me in that spot. They're making me pay a price for touching it. And you see the whole sense and the whole feeling is you better back off. You better not mention that again. And see the man or the individual in authority has to be willing. Well, look, we're going we're gonna to go to the bottom of this. I'm not leaving because I was here first. Amen. If anybody's going to leave, it's going to be them. That, that has to be the position. of It's not that anybody in authority wants that. It, nobody wants that. But that's the only method of deliverance. Because anything less you want, you suffer. You suffer Jezebel to be there. You suffer that thing that won't submit to God to continue. And it's teaching folks all the time. It always teaches. It lives by example. It permeates. It has leaven. It has the ability to undermine even unconsciously. It doesn't have, you know, to be consciously going around murmuring and complaining. But Jezebel has the ability to teach and to communicate certain things. And that has to be violated at all costs. Whenever I sense, whether it's been in my home, whether it's been in this church, wherever I sense that spirit lying to me, that devil using that rebellion to lie to me, there's going to be a price to pay if you continue with this. You better back off. You're going to cause trouble. I've got to violate that. I've got to make my, my face harder. Hey, I have to pray that God will make my face more animate than their faces. Or if it be the case, your face. Or if it be the case, her face. Or God forbid, if it were me, that whoever was over me whenever I was in a church, amen, would make their face hard again. And there has been times where I have needed that. I have needed someone to deal with me brutally. And honestly, thank God for that, that someone loved me enough to do that. The next thing about Jezebel is she is an intimidator. 1 Kings 19, 2-3, then Jezebel, Jezebel sent a message unto Elijah. He had slayed the 400 prophets of Baal at Mount Carmel. So Jezebel says, so let the gods do to me, and more also if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. She's, she's active. Jezebel in the Bible. No, she's not passive. There's nothing passive about her. She's, she's very active. Amen. And when he saw that, there was a revelation. Oh, I'm in trouble. Here's a man that's slain 400 false prophets, but he's scared of a woman. What is it? Is something in the spirit? 
something so intimidating about that spirit. And again, it's not isolated to women. But I'm only saying there's probably perhaps nothing more intimidating than that spirit of rebellion that will boldly defy, will boldly stand in the place. And what it does, it makes you. If, and listen to me, this is what Jezebel says. I'm not leaving. I'm not forfeiting the authority that was compromised to me unless you kill me. And she never did. She never did. She had to be thrown off the throne. And that's the only way she's coming off that throne. Don't matter whether it's in that marriage. Doesn't matter whether it's in this house. Amen. She's going to have to be dealt with. You're not going to talk her down. You're not going to, you know, go to Jezebel and say, look, Jezebel, you're, you shouldn't be having this kind of authority. You're bringing a lot of trouble into Israel. Let's reason out of the scriptures and let's uh, say, you know, and she said, well, fine. I never realized what I was doing. I'm just going to let, you know, Ahab run things and, and Elijah, I'm going to come to hear you preach every Sunday morning. No, no. Jezebel's going to have to be destroyed. And somebody's going to have to have the backbone to deal with it accordingly. But she's intimidating. And that's what she wants to do, intimidate authority. I was a youth pastor once. One of the most terrible, awful positions I've ever been in in my entire life. And the church that I was a youth pastor in, it wasn't run by the pastor. It wasn't run by some renegade adults. It was run by the children. That's who it was run by. Oh, yes, and particularly the teenage girls. And there was nothing more intimidating than that little group of about five girls in a church of about 150 people. And listen to me, if you think I preach hard now, I never preached so scathing as when I was a youth pastor. Oh, I preached. I tried, you know, I was young. And the people said, why don't you preach on the gifts of the Spirit or teach them something? And I, you know, I thought, what's wrong with me that I, you know, that every time I get in there, I just rip their hide off and I'd go pray and fast and get in the pulpit. And even if I had another message, I would just bear down on them. And as soon as it got through, those five little girls in their little shorts would walk right up to the front of the pew and stare me in the face and talk to me with sweet little voices. And you know what they were trying to communicate to me? You don't bother me. Everything you're saying, you don't intimidate me in one, one bit. And you know the thing that I knew? I knew that the only reason that they were there sitting in that youth meeting is because there was an Ahab for their daddy. And I knew Ahab was on a string. That Ahab was a little puppet. And I knew that when they went back home, they were going to tell their little Ahab and pull Ahab's little string and twist every word that I said and make Ahab believe that I was the problem instead of them. And that's exactly what happened. Because that's what Jezebel does. And that's intimidating. Nobody's going to believe me. What's wrong with Ahab? He knows 400 prophets' blood spilt over here at Mount Carmel. Why don't he tell Jezebel to shut up? The next thing that might happen is the sword come down on our neck. No, he doesn't deal with her. Because he's afraid of Jezebel too. She's an intimidator. She's rebellious and disorderly, obviously. And above all else, she's rebellious. She promotes disorder. This is what she did in Israel. This is what she did in the church of Thyatira. And this is what she'll do in any home, in any marriage, and any church. If she suffered to remain, she'll always bring disorder and rebellion. And you know, it's a sad commentary today that Pentecostal churches, they are for the most part broods of rebellion and disorder. Women pastors, 
Women teaching men. Women with authority over men. Children running rampant. If you bring your family in most Pentecostal churches, they'll divide the family. They'll take the children from you, put them in a youth group where the youth pastor with chains around his neck, earrings in his ear, sit there and preach to your children for one hour that your, your parents are, you know, outdated and Victorian and they don't know what they're talking about. They will undermine the authority of the home and don't even know they think they're spiritual. Let you begin to set your house in order. Throw your TV out, anything like that, and your wife don't agree with it, run to the pastor and cry, and the pastor will call you in and tell you that you are hurting your wife's feelings. Undermine authority. It is disorder. And that is in almost every Pentecostal church in America. It's a terrible thing. It seems like the Pentecostal church is asleep to it. When you can find among some of the fundamental Baptists, they know this. They recognize it. There's been a move of God, at least in that regard. And that's that should provoke us. I'm not saying everybody needs to be baptized in the Holy Ghost. I believe that. But I can tell you it's a terrible thing when we're supposed to be full of the Holy Ghost and we don't see that. Awful, terrible thing. Brother told me not long ago he went to a very conservative Pentecostal church. His wife was giving him trouble. And the pastor's wife pulled his wife to the side and said, You know, I I sense you have a lot more wisdom than your husband. You think she, she, could she have more wisdom? Yeah, but you don't tell her that. Especially someone rebellious who thinks that they're hearing from God and their husband is not hearing from God. I said, I would run from that church as fast as I could. Rebellion, teaching rebellion. Isaiah said, it's for my people, children are their oppressors. Women rule over them. Children running around like maniacs in the church, punching their own parents, screaming at them at the top of their lungs. Oh, my people, they which lead thee, cause thee to err and destroy the way of thy pass. It's Ahab's fault. It's Ahab that let Jezebel in. Jezebel's crafty and deceptive. Second Kings 9 and 30. Jehu's given the word of the Lord. Amen. He rides to Jezreel. He's getting ready to take care of Jezebel. It says, and when Jehu was come to Jezreel, Jezebel heard of it, and she painted her face, and tired her head, and looked out at a window. Now, you know, a lot of preachers, they just use this to preach against cosmetics. Really, I don't believe that's valid. I'm not for or against cosmetics. I believe makeup is probably better just to leave it alone. God made you a certain way. But I don't believe that that scripture is talking about makeup at all. I think that's a very shallow interpretation. It's talking about something much more deep and much more significant. See, that passive Jezebel, as well as that active Jezebel, if they can't intimidate, then they'll seek to hide. Uh, You know, I've fooled Ahab before. Maybe I can fool Jehu now. Maybe I can paint over this face, this hard face of rebellion and cruelty and put on a religious face and get him to back off. It's deceptive. It's crafty. 
And you know, just as I said, look at Jezebel to the very bitter end. She doesn't beg for mercy. She never asks to compromise. She never says anything. She stands in the window boldly. Amen. She's going to deceive or she's going to intimidate. But if she can't die, she's going to die. I mean, if she can't uh, persuade, then she is going to die in her deception. There's going to be no move in that spirit. It's going to have to be destroyed. It's in for the long haul. Once it's there, it's going to have to be utterly rooted out. There's no negotiation with it. She hates prophets. Jezebel hates prophets. It says in 1 Kings 18 and 4, For it was so when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord. That means she, she killed them. And what is the prophet? The prophet is the spokesman for God. He's the one that brings men face to face with the reality of the Word of God. He brings men back to God's original intention. Order. You read about Elijah on Mount Carmel. says he built an altar. He set everything in order. The way it ought to be. This is the way it is. That's typical. Everything. It doesn't mean just, you know, how, how, how we're to, you know, say we receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. But everything... Not just how we're going to do communion. No, everything. How the family, church government, everything. How it's to be run. How it's to be operated. Back to the original order that God intended. Oh, and that touches rebellion. It exposes rebellion. Some historians, and again, I I couldn't validate this absolutely, but some historians believe that Jezebel made the prophets into eunuchs. She's surrounded by eunuchs. That means she emasculates the men of God. Amen. She attacks the masculinity or the masculine qualities of the church. And you know, listen to me. Nothing more proves the influence of Jezebel in our generation like their hatred for the preaching, the authority, declaration of the word of God and their effeminate quality you know God created a feminine spirit it is needful it's necessary it's beautiful it's holy it's pure and if any if any uh, entity entity any eternal entity in the kingdom of God is without a feminine spirit a church or a family that's not right there's got to be a feminine spirit but likewise the masculine spirit has its place and you know when you think about the masculine gender what are, what is one of the things that is incorporated that's the very essence of the masculine character and that is to protect driven to protect Jezebel attacks that and emasculates the men of God and the church of God and the walls come down and there's no protection she strips the church of the masculine quality she surrounds herself with emaciated authority amen that's scared Jezebel's not scared to die she'll paint her face stand in the window she knows she's getting ready to meet her fate Most preachers in the pulpit are scared to death of Jezebel. But Jezebel ain't scared of them. You hear me? Jezebel's going to stand there until we... It's going to be brought to a head or it's just, I'm going to stay. I'm going to sit here. I'm going to make my presence known. I'm going to teach and I'm going to seduce unless somebody refuses to suffer me to do so. That's the answer. That's the root of what Jesus was saying. You allow it. If you wouldn't allow it, she wouldn't be there. How 
How could he rebuke them? Well, there's really nothing you can do about it. You've done everything you could do, but she's still there. No, he's saying you allow it. That's why it's there. It's there because you allow it. If you didn't allow it, it wouldn't be there. He couldn't rebuke them unless that was the case. If there's nothing they could do, then he could just say, well, sometimes she's there, sometimes she's not. Try to do it the best you can. Oh, no. If it's there, it's because somebody allows it. Someone suffers it to be there. She hates to be challenged. And the prophetic office will always challenge Jezebel. And that leads us to our final Old Testament figure. The person of Jehu. We're going to briefly look at some of his characteristics. He represents God's ordained and obedient authority who refuses to compromise. It says in 1 Kings 19 and 16, And Jehu the son of Nimshi shall thou anoint to be king over Israel. You know what his name means? And his name means Jehovah is he. Jehovah is he. And you say, well, you know, it's an interesting point because Elijah was, uh, you know, an, uh, he, he was a, a nemesis. He was, you know, an adversary of Jezebel. But how is it that he didn't overcome? I believe the Bible speaks to us here. It was a king's compromise. It was a king's compromise that opened the breach for Jezebel to come in. And it had to be the king's authority to come and to remove her. I'm not going to be able to deliver, amen, your home from that Jezebel spirit if it's there. You're going to have to do it. Amen. And likewise, if that Jezebel spirit is in here, you're not going to deliver this church from that Jezebel spirit. I'm going to have to do it. Do you hear me? It's going to have to be done by that office that allowed it in. And Jehu was anointed a king. He was given authority. And he was anointed to properly lead. And you know what he's going to do? According to his name, he's going to lead those under his care at whatever cost to the revelation that God is God. And we're going to do things his way around here. And anybody that doesn't agree, we're going to have to deal with them. Jehu knows that he's granted authority by God to judge and to destroy Jezebel. He's not going to play with his spirit. He's not going to dabble with it. He knows God told him what to do with it. The prophet came to him in 2 Kings chapter 9, verses 6 through 7, and he poured the oil on his head, Jehu's head, and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I have anointed thee king over the people of the Lord, even over Israel, and thou shalt smite the house of Ahab thy master, that I may avenge the blood of my servants, the prophets, and the blood of all the servants of the Lord at the hand of Jezebel. It was the responsibility of that king It's the responsibility of authority to restrain and to rid that sphere of dominion of the influence of Jezebel. No one else has that authority in my home like me. Nobody has that authority in the home like you. Nobody has that authority over your children like you, parent, mother, and father. Nobody has the authority to rid Jezebel from this local church like the pastor. And the list goes on and on and on. The pulpit, the home, nor the church must suffer the spirit of Jezebel. But it's only Jehu can overcome Jezebel. You know, if the Bible gives us Jehu as an example and a model, there's some things that we can learn about how this spirit is dealt with and defeated. You heard me say not long ago that all through the Old Testament, you read through the judges, those judges delivered Israel. You know, they hate judgment in this hour. But when there wasn't a judge in Israel, there's no deliverance. There's got to be judgment. 
No judgment, no deliverance. No judgment, and that includes not only the preaching of the Word of God, but the application of the Word of God. Jehu is consumed with fulfilling the Word. Now, you know the prophet anoints him. The prophet says, your king, pours oil over his head, gives him instruction. What's he do? I'm going I'm to give myself 30, 40 days to fasting and prayer. And I'm going to see whether Jezebel and repent. And Ahab's already dead, but his household and other ones, amen, his children. I'm going to pray for him. I'm going to send him a telegram. I'm going to have an evangelistic meeting at Jezreel. I'm going to give it some time. No, he mounts his chariot and he heads off to Jezreel. Immediately, he's consumed. God told him, you smite the house. And he's going to smite it right now. He's not waiting one moment. Second Kings 9 and 20, and the watchman told, saying, meaning at Jezreel, there were watchmen on the wall, and they saw Jehu riding, amen. And the watchman said, he came even unto them and cometh not again. The driving is like the driving of Jehu, the son of Nimshi, for he drive furiously. He's a driven man. He's coming to take care of some business. He's zealous. He's jealous for the name of God. He's going to do away with that, which brings a reproach on the name of Jesus Christ. He's not going to rest while rebellion thrives in the house of Israel. You know, and when Ahab's son met him, Joram, who happened to be the king, it came to pass when Joram saw Jehu that he said, Is it peace, Jehu? Do you come in love, Jehu? Are you coming in the love of the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you merciful, Jehu? And Jehu answered, said, What peace, so long as the whoredoms of thy mother Jezebel and her witchcrafts are so many. In other words, there's going to be no peace today. Took out his bow, took out his arrow, shot an arrow through his heart, and did away with the first of the seed of Ahab. Amen. Kicks the horse on his way to Jezreel to get mama. He's riding furiously. He's consumed with fulfilling the word of God. He's not even going to give, you know, Joram a proper burial. He's got to get this thing dealt with. He knows that if he suffers Jezebel, there's going to be trouble. Jehu commands Jezebel to be cast down. He arrives at Jezreel. Aben approaches Jezebel, face painted, in the window, surrounded by her eunuchs. And he said, throw her down. He said, I come in the name of the Lord and I want to sit down and counsel you for a little while. He's going to obey what God told him to do. He said, throw her down. So they threw her down. I can tell you when authority speaks, something's going to happen. And men that believe and understand that God has, ador- has anointed them and ordained them to deal with the situation and refuse to back off and refuse to be intimidated by the accusations of a religious spirit. Amen. When they say cast her down, she's a coming down. Amen. She's going to be brought low and there's going to be some deliverance in God's chosen vessel. So they threw her down and some of her blood was sprinkled on the wall and on the horses and he trod her underfoot. Then he took the horses and chariots and ran back and forth over. Make sure she's dead. Make sure we get rid of this. Make sure we tread this under our feet. Make sure we grind it under our heel. Make sure that everybody in Israel knows this is rebellion and won't be tolerated. Why play hanky-panky with this spirit of religion and this spirit of rebellion? Has to be dealt with in brutality if it won't repent. 
And that's, listen to me, these are some characteristics of the king that brought an end to a tragic history in Israel. Because Jezebel was suffered to teach. Now you know what's the application for us? I think it's obvious. There's a spirit. And that spirit comes to teach. That's what it comes to do. There's nothing more dangerous than rebellion. Nothing. Whether it be in the pew, whether it be in the pulpit, whether it be in the marriage, whether it be in those children, nothing more dangerous than that spirit. And if any of that would be found in any of us, if anything said today would expose anything in us that's sympathetic toward that, then I believe we need to look to Jehu, that we don't suffer and we don't allow that spirit to influence us in any way. Let's stand here this morning. Thank you, Jesus.